But hey, guys, you're looking good. It's, it's good to have you here. Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. What we've been doing is going through the Sermon on the Mount and really discovering this deeper righteousness that Christ desires, not just simply in our behavior, but see, a righteousness that flows through the heart, meaning it flows through what we love, what we worship, what we're passionate for and what we desire. And in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's giving us a series of examples of what it looks like to have a righteousness that flows out of a love for God and, and not just an obedience, which is important, but an obedience that's connected to a motivation of glorifying God and loving our neighbor. And truly in the Sermon on the Mount, we see what human flourishing is to look like, what it looks like to live as a community that loves God and loves one another. And today we come to the final example, really the height of this passage in Matthew 5, verses 43, and we're going to read it through 48. So Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 43 to verse 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But see, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For, see, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, if you love those who love you, what, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And listen, if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, as we gather this, this morning awaiting Christmas Day, which marks the entrance of light into darkness, of love, joy, peace into our world, Father, would you begin to open our minds and our hearts to see how in us, often our motivations, the ways that we love, it's keeping us from experiencing the fullness of your power and your presence in our life. And so, Lord, we want to humble ourselves so that, Father, you may exalt us in due time. Father, pour out your grace through the power of your spirit in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a, a pretty difficult teaching. Love your neighbors, and, and the phrase used to be hate your enemies. Now, if you were a Hebrew in the first century, living in Israel, you were living in a time of oppression and occupation. For some 70 years, the Romans have simply dominated your country. They have beat mercilessly your people. They have stolen. They have taken their land. They've taken their food. Everywhere you look, you see evidence of the Romans. And, and listen, they're ruining your music. They're, they're ruining the music. They're, they're ruining culture. Everything that you once loved, everything that was good about living in Israel is slowly being taken away. And here you see these Romans walking wherever they want to go, taking what they want. And there is this deep animosity and hatred in your heart. You know the stories, the stories of rape, the stories of murder, 
the stories of extortion. And as you see these individuals that you don't even know, you see them as the oppressors, you see them as evil. And yet you're reading a Bible that's constantly talking about a God that rescues Israel out of oppression. The book of Exodus, it talks about how God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. Stories of rescuing from Babylon and from the Assyrians. This is the God you worship, but where, where in the heck is he? I mean, prophecy after prophecy of a, a Messiah, this Davidic king who would come and he would ascend the throne of David. And when he does, he's not just going to rule over Israel and bring peace. It says, no, Isaiah said he's going to bring peace to the entire world. Peace to your family, peace to your nation, peace even to the Romans, which is unimaginable. And yet, where is this God that is promised? See, in Israel, every decade or so, these would-be messiahs would rise up and say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the Davidic king. I'm the one that Isaiah talked about. And many of them would gain a pretty solid gathering. I mean, 10, 15, 20,000 people would rise up. And as quickly as they would rise up to fight the Romans, the Romans would wipe them out. And every single time the promise of Messiah came, your hope went up and then it was destroyed. So when you hear the name Yeshua, Jesus from Nazareth, you're not ready to put your hope in him. Now you've heard great stories, right? Feeding 5,000, that's, that's not a bad day. I've heard that he's raised the dead, he's healed the sick, he's He's unlike any rabbi that has taught in Israel. He teaches as one who has authority. He has this presence. He has, this, he has something that, that's drawing you in, and yet you don't want to hope. At least you'll go and listen. And so you hear he's by the Sea of Galilee. He's preaching, and there's thousands upon thousands of people who are gathered on this hill, and you hear him begin to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. He's quoting the Old Testament, you know, do not murder, do not hate, do not commit adultery. Hey, this guy's got to be all right. He's calling us to obedience. And see, then he comes to these words. And when these words ring out, the hatred in your heart begins to stir. The confusion begins to grow and you wonder, could this message be from God? You've heard that it was said. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And yet I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. For listen, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I mean, let's be honest, don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't Gentiles, don't the pagans do that. Instead, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, in the West, often that doesn't hit us like a ton of bricks because we're not the oppressed. We often don't face in our own country, many of us don't face injustice. We don't face oppression in the same way that people across the world and across history really have experienced that. And here you are in Israel under the hand of the Romans. Love my enemies. 
those who rape and murder, those who kill, those who steal. This is a message from God. How would you wrestle with that message of hope in a world that seems just hopeless? Now, the first half, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. Now, that comes from the Old Testament. We know it. It's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. The second half, when he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Now, that doesn't come from the Old Testament. That's not in Scripture at all. Rather, more than likely, this was a, a saying, a phrase that people would say, hey, love your neighbor. Yeah, right, bud, but hate your enemies. Jesus is taking a common saying in that day, and he's diving into it. So what I want to first do is let's go to the passage he quotes, which is in Leviticus 19.18. And yet not just look at that, but look at the wider context. Because, see, Jesus quotes this passage. We know it is the second of the greatest commandments. When someone said, Jesus, what's your top two? Actually, they said, what's your top one? And he threw two in. He said, hey, the first is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, when you jump back into Leviticus 19.18, remember what Jesus is doing when he's quoting the Old Testament is he's saying, you've heard it said, but let me tell you what this means. And see, for those who were living in Israel, when they said, love your neighbor, well, who's your neighbor? People like me. When they thought, love your neighbor, they meant fellow Hebrews. I mean, people that like what I like, listen to what I listen to, certainly vote for who I vote for, live how I live, and they like me. I am to love those who are exactly like me. That was the common belief in the day. And I think for many of us, that's the way we live. We like people who like us, and we don't like people who don't. It just, it's human nature. But it's not the kingdom of God. And so when you jump back into Leviticus 19.18, you discover that it's actually not so much just about neighbor love. It's about loving those who hate you. So Leviticus 19.17 says this. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. So there's a conflict. Now, if you're hating your brother, you probably, listen, you've got a good reason to hate you don't hate for just any reason. You hate because they're worthy of being hated. And he's saying, instead of allowing to hate to well up in your heart, go and address your brother. And then here comes verse 18. You shall not take vengeance. You don't take vengeance on a friend. You take vengeance on an enemy. Or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, when God said, love your neighbor, we often say, okay, I know who my neighbor is. <laughs> and for me, that's the lowest and the easiest to love. The ones that love me, the ones that invite me to dinner, you know, I love those people. The ones that care well for us. But Jesus is saying, when God said, love your neighbor, what he was really saying is, love your enemy. It's human nature to love a neighbor. It's divine to love your enemy. Now, enemy, when we look at that word in the Greek, it actually just means enemy. It means all enemies. Some want to divide enemies up and say, well, we can't love our political enemies. I mean, certainly that's right. That's too far. That's going way too far. Not the national enemies. No, that enemies includes that. It's national enemies. It's political enemies. And it's also personal enemies. 
It could be the enemies who have hurt us, the people who have spoken ill of us. It's the guy at work that bothers us. It's the lady down the street that annoys our kids. It's even those that have gone, those that have died, those that have hurt us in the past, and yet the stories of their abuse and their pain, it still lives on us, in us. Enemies refers simply to enemies. And when he uses the word love, now in, in English, we just have love, right? And love can mean sex. <laughs> love can mean passion. Love can mean commitment. I love God and I love my family, and yet I love the Red Sox. And yet I love the Patriots. I know, guys, you hate me for that, and it's okay. We're, we're talking about that today. It's all right. And I love Christmas, and I love the Christmas story, and I love Christmas vacation. All of that is love, and yet we know that word doesn't mean the same thing when I'm loving my wife or loving food. See, the word love in, in the New Testament that Jesus uses is the word agape, which means God's love. And see, agape love is not just this warm and fuzzy. When God looks at us, we want to think he has warm and fuzzies. And, and there's a sense in which he does, but it's more than that. It means an action of the will. See, when God loves us, he chooses to love us. And what does it mean to love us? It means to seek our best interest, to put our interest ahead of his own. And that's exactly what Jesus did. For Jesus was in very nature God, and yet he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Jesus took on the nature of a servant. He was found in human likeness, and he was willing to humble himself and die on the cross. That wasn't for his benefit. It was for us. The essence of love is to sacrifice for the best interest of others. Now, when Jesus is saying, love your enemies, he's saying, I want you to sacrifice for the best interest of those who hate you, who you think are ruining your country. Remember, that's the Romans those that oppose you, those that are against you. I want you to love your enemies as God has loved us. One commentator describing this kind of love said it this way, and I love this. He calls agape love a rugged commitment, meaning it's difficult. To be with someone as someone who's for that person and to love them unto God's formative purpose. To love them in a way that you're for them unto God's purpose, meaning we don't ignore that which is wrong in their life. If there's injustice, we should address it. If there's oppression, we should address it. But we should address it in a way, not that we win, but that God gains a hold of their heart. Because the evil we're fighting, remember, is not just simply person to person. The evil we're fighting is the evil that has our enemies captive. And the freedom that God wants is for us to be a part of setting the captive free, which is not only us, but it's all of those that are out in the world that are under the oppression of sin and death and Satan. So listen, how do you do this? I'll be the first to say I'm not good at it. Okay, don't come to me and say, hey, Jason, you, you look like you're really good at loving your enemies. No, this is not natural to our human flesh and nature. And for me, I am somebody that holds on to the past. Hold on to stories, hold on to hurts. This is difficult, but thankfully what Jesus does, he not only says, this is what you need to do, and this is what people who love God look like, he's saying, here's how you do it. And it starts pretty simple, ready for this? Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. What does that look like? Verse 44, pray for those who persecute you. Now, that doesn't mean, God, I pray for a tornado. 
to perfectly land on my enemy's home and his business. I pray you wipe him out with love. You know, that's what we want to pray, right? We want to see calamity come into the lives of others. That's not how you pray. See, Jesus said we don't return cursing with cursing. He said we return cursing with blessing. To pray means to pray blessing. What does that look like? What's a prayer? And you may need to write this down. Father, bless Jim. That's it. That's all you got to say, right? And sometimes all you can say is those, was that three words? Father, bless Jim. Yeah, three. Father, bless Sally. Father, bless Bob. Father, bless whoever it is. Father, be with them. Reveal your presence. Now, if there's sin, Father, lead them to repentance. Now, why do you want repentance? So that they may know the love of God. We are to pray for enemies. And here's what happens. Listen, if you've never done this, it's, it's worth the exercise. Because when somebody's truly hurt you and there's that pain and every time you think of them and every time you think of that moment, it's what you're doing is you're driving that stake of bitterness deep into the heart, into your emotions, into your thoughts. And for some of us, man, you have nailed that spike down. It is deep. What you begin to do is you pray for them and you pray for blessing. That means you're not thinking about what they've done wrong to you. You're just saying, God, would you pour out your blessing in their life? You stop seeing them according to what they've done. You stop being controlled. Because what's the last thing we want to be is controlled by our enemies. And yet when you hold on to bitterness, you're enslaved to what they've done. And in a sense, you're just allowing them to constantly tear you down over and over. But when you pray for them, what happens is you set the captive free. And the captive is us. We begin to be released. And then when you think of it, and this is amazing, and it takes some time, some time to get there, but eventually there's a point where you, you think of them and you think of them as a person that is worthy of God's love. And you don't just see them through what they've done. You see them through the eyes of God. The way you see them has changed because God has begun to change your heart. When we pray for others, it sets us free. It also sets them free. That's the first step we've got to take is simply to pray for them. So I don't know who that enemy is. It could be a national enemy. It could be a personal enemy. But would you be willing to submit yourself to the Spirit of God and just say, I want to start praying? And for some of us, that enemy is so real, you need to probably pray more for them than for your friends. Because that's why you're not loving your friends very well. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but the reason you're so angry and so hurt, even to those you say you care about, is because you haven't dealt with the sin that's been done to you. And until we set the captive free, we're not able to love as God desires us to love. And it starts by loving our enemies as God has loved us. Now, the second thing, not only do we start praying for them, that's the first step. And, and I think all of us can kind of do that, right? I don't think that's difficult. And yet, here's, here's the next step. In verse 45, we have to start treating our enemy with mercy. And here's why. He goes on to say, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. God sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, what Jesus is doing is getting down to our motivations. Why are you praying for this person? And he says the reason we should pray and do good for our enemies is so that we might become like God. The character of our God is a God who rescues his enemies with love. 
Now, the love that our God uses is self-sacrificing love. We have been rescued. What's salvation? It's enemy love come down to us and pulled us out of darkness into light. And Jesus is saying, when you love your enemies, you are most like our Father. You reflect the Father's character to the world. Now, I don't know how many times I've had conversations with Christians, and they'll say things like, you know, Jason, I know you're a pastor, so you probably know this. I, I, you can't be a Christian and do this. You can't be a Christian and vote for this person. You can't be a Christian and support that. I've heard that so many times. You know, I've never heard somebody say, you can't be a Christian and not love your enemies. And yet when he says you are sons of your father in heaven, he's saying the essence of a Christian is one who loves his enemies because that is the God they worship. And that's the experience of their salvation. Their salvation is rescued out of enemy into son, out of wrath into daughter. This is the essence of the gospel. And he says that when you look at the sun, it rises on both the evil and the good. When the rain comes down, and in Israel, it's a dry and arid place. When the rain came, what did you do? You went outside with your family. It's like Shawshank Redemption. You remember that moment? He's like, he's, the rain is falling, freedom, it's blessing. But guess what? If it's blessing you, two houses down where the jerk lives, it's blessing him. That every time you see the rainfall, God is loving his enemies. Every time you see the sun rise, God is loving his enemies. It's an illustration every single day to remind us this is how God has loved us, and we are also to love others. So can we, just for a moment, and forgive me, can we, can we play for just a minute and think about some of our enemies and how they're doing? What's the weather in North Korea right now? Pyongyang. How's it doing? Any sunshine? Oh, around 3 o'clock today, it looks, it looks yeah, how about, I don't know what's next. What's next? Moscow. The rain is falling. The sun may be not shining today, but God is loving the people of Moscow. What's the next one we got? Oh, Raqqa, the home of ISIS. And yet the rain falls. And yet the sun shines. And then finally, Tehran. Little hazy but the sun is shining. You know, this pandemic, it's not hitting these nations any harder than it's hitting us. We are all human beings together in need of the mercy of God. Realize when the sun rises and the rain falls, God is loving his enemies because that is the God that we worship. And so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray for him. We're supposed to treat our, our enemies with mercy. And then third, we're supposed to begin to welcome our enemies as our neighbor and as our friend. So watch this, verse 46. If you love those who love you, that's easy. I mean, come on, what reward do you have? Do not even, and here's the hard part, the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? The Gentiles sometimes trade the pagans do that. What Jesus does is he takes the two worst people in that day the tax collectors, the Benedict Arnolds, those who are serving with the oppressors, those who are allowing those that have taken advantage of your family and have taken your money and your livelihood away, those that are ruining your country, that's the tax collectors. Jesus uses them as an example, and then he also says the pagans. Now, pagan simply means those who do not believe in the God of Israel. 
the pagans do the same. Meaning when we don't love our neighbor and our enemy as God has called us to, we are no different than the tax collector or the pagan. So what is he asking us to do? Simply, first step, pray. Recognize that God each day is loving his enemies. When you wake up and you see the sun and the rain, you've got to remind yourself that that's the God you worship. And then third, just say hello. It's all right. Just say hello. Not right now. Sorry, that was kind of funny. The phone just rang anyways, if you guys are watching online. and Sorry, a little ADD. Just say hello when you see them. So when you see your enemy coming, what, what I feel this, right? I feel fight. Now, what do I need to do? The sun is rising, the rays are falling. Okay, my God loves his enemies. I need to look my enemy in the eye and simply say hello. That's the first step. After I've prayed for them, recognizing God is the God who loves his enemies, I need to extend to my enemies mercy and maybe even friendship to allow them to experience the same love that, that I have experienced. You know, Glenn Statson, he's an ethicist from Fuller Seminary, and he wrote this amazing commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says. He says, loving only those who love you is the in-group selfishness of cliquishness, cronyism, nepotism, racism, and nationalism. If we only love those who love us, we see only an in-group perspective and become closed-minded to how others see things. As a result, we cannot understand our enemy's perspective enough to deal with them effectively because the goal is to change them, right? You can't understand them if you don't know them. We are less effective, less powerful, because we do not sufficiently understand our enemies who wish us harm and so cannot do what is effective in persuading them to do what we think is right. And so what do we do? We grow frustrated. And because we won't enter into a relationship, we blame them all the more. We transfer our, our ineffectiveness to other people whom we don't understand. This is the powerlessness of a culture of blame. That is our cultural moment. Blame. What does the kingdom of God say? Pray for them. Pour mercy on them. And then start to get to know them. Build a relationship that begins to, to cross boundaries that you actually get to know who this person is. So that, verse 48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that's, that's pretty tough. If perfect means without, without mistake, without error. But see, perfect in the Greek is not exactly the same as in English. Certainly, it, it does carry this idea of perfection, but it really means the goal. It's teleos, uh, it, teleology, the end of all things. What is the purpose of it? Well, ask this question. What was the purpose of God's love? But to take an enemy and make him or her a son or a daughter. And so if God's love is in you and it's going to be perfected, which means God's love has come in, what is the evidence of that love being in you and flowing out of you? It's loving your enemy. The teleos, the perfection of enemy love is loving your enemy. Because see, when you go through scripture over and over again, we see this message, and yet it's so easy for us to ignore it. You know, we want to elevate other things, things that we stand for, our group stands for. We want to elevate ourselves into tribalism, 
into divisions and say, hey, this is what the good people are about. But Jesus is saying, you know what the good people are about? They're about loving their enemies. Luke 6, 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be, same language, sons of your most high. You'll be most like your father. Why? Here's the hard words. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. And I'll tell you, I am grateful for that because I am the ungodly and the evil. Listen, it's in Matthew, it's in Luke. Maybe, maybe it's in John, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Now notice, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. By how you vote, by who you're against, by who you're hating, by loving your enemies, the world will know that Christ is the Messiah who has come. If you love one another, and not just simply love, but love as I have loved you. Okay, so we see it in the Gospels. Let's check Paul, Romans 5, 6. For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the, the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps, right, for a good person, I wouldn't mind dying, dare to die. But God shows his love. This is the depths of God's love, that while we were sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified, meaning made right with God by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For while we were enemies, tax collectors, Romans, ISIS, Abortion doctors, the right, the left, fill in the blank. We were reconciled to God by his death, the death of his son. How much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. The heart of the Christian message is God has rescued his enemies. And church, I'm one of them. And it's called grace. How can we receive that from the Father and not give that to the world? And, and, and not, maybe not just give it to the world, but not struggle with the fact that we don't care about loving the world as God has loved us. And when I say that, I'm speaking to myself as well. That we can be so hardened by the news, we can be so hardened by the world that the Spirit of God can't even permeate our hearts and our minds and our emotions with the beauty of the gospel message, which is the heart of what we believe, and it should be the reflection of who we are to the world, known for our love for our enemies. Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Now, how do we do that? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The evidence of Christ in us is the willingness to love our enemies. Church, how can we not, when the creator of the universe was willing to sacrifice the perfect son of God for us, how can we, how can we abandon that call? And I'll tell you why, because we listen to the world more than we listen to God. You know, I think so often when I'm praying, I'm thinking, God, I got, I got him for 30 minutes. News has got you for what, 30, 40 hours? 
I can't compete with that. God can't compete with that. What you listen to, you are formed by. What you listen to and watch, what you post on Facebook, what you're angry about, it is discipling your heart. What does Jesus care about? He's cared about what's in your heart. And church, we need to start being aware of what we're allowing into our lives. So let me ask you two simple questions. Who do you need to love? And again, this could be someone that's no longer living. But they have hurt you, and because they've hurt you, listen, where sin is not forgiven, wrath abounds. And where you don't acknowledge how you've been hurt, you hurt others. And you take that anger out into the world, and we find our pet projects to hate others with. That's not the gospel. That's not Christ's church. I just want to ask you, who do you need to love? And maybe who do you need to ask the Father to begin to help you to love? What does it look like? Simple, just start praying for one sentence a day. Sometimes, you know, you need to, as I, I think I said this in the service, I can't remember. Sometimes we need to pray for our enemies more than our friends because that's why we don't love our friends well. Is because the hatred for others is dominating our heart. You need to be set free. We need to love them. We need to show them mercy. And then third, we need to be willing to greet them and to offer the opportunity of friendship. Who is it that you need to love? And maybe for some of us, can we just be honest? We need to admit we're loved. And we need to admit that the love of God found us at our lowest point. And that while we rejected him, you know what Christ said from the cross, Father Jason, he doesn't know what he's doing. doesn't know. He doesn't know who he's rejecting. He doesn't know who I am. But through my resurrection and sacrifice, he will see. And yet in seeing how much have we taken in that we're willing to obey and be a reflection of God's kingdom on earth. Church, we need to repent. I think the church is known way too much for the people we hate than being known for turning our enemies, at least into our neighbors, if not into our friends. This is the power of the gospel. Hey, let me pray for us. Lord, I just admit, Lord, there's plenty that I can look at and say, don't you know what they've done? Father, don't you know they're not worth my time? They're not gonna listen, God? I mean, I've got a thousand excuses for you, Holy Spirit. They're not gonna change. They're not gonna move. They're not gonna... And yet that not gonna was me. I don't know how many may have prayed for us in this room and they thought, I don't know if God's gonna get him. I don't know if she's gonna change. And yet that's the power of the gospel is Christ alive in us, brought out of darkness into light. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. You've transferred us the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son that you love. Father, we wanna be more like our father in heaven. And so as we walk out today and the sun hits us and it is glorious, we're reminded that in that moment, as you love us, you're loving your enemies. Father, forgive us that we can write this command off so easily and just listen to the world and allow our hearts and our minds and our emotions just to fit within a little segment, a little party or a little, a little group of people just loving those instead, Father, of recognizing one day before your throne, there'll be every tribe, tongue, and nation 
celebrating the risen and exalted king. Heal us, Father, from those pains that we've experienced. And then, Lord, allow us to experience the intimacy of a God that's loved us that deeply so that we might love others. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name.